Listener supported. WNYC Studios. American life and geopolitics are ever more in the shadow of a lurking Russian bear. We have to protect our intelligence assets. We do not want to compromise our sources and our methods of getting intelligence from any adversary, let alone Russia. The president has given aid and comfort to Russia, which is our enemy, even though he won't admit that Russia is our enemy. Vladimir Putin and Russia are our adversary. Something that's been true for so much of the past 80 years that it's almost easy to forget the decade-long interregnum between the fall of communism and the beginning of Putinism. It was a period of relative transparency, democracy, and peace, owing mainly to the vision and courage of one man, Mikhail Gorbachev. A young hotshot communist technocrat, he rose rapidly in the shambles of the economically and morally bankrupt empire that had been so mismanaged by the likes of Brezhnev, Andropov, and Chernyenko. Gambling that the Soviet Union's very survival depended on radical reform, or perestroika, party leaders installed Gorbachev as that reformer. Today, the dreams of change embrace the entire nation. For people like Jonu, more independence for his homeland. For those like Valya, a more decent life. But the future remains uncertain. Failure to He immediately introduced glasnost, openness, on the way to democracy and the end of communist rule. The Iron Curtain fell, Germany was reunited, missiles were disarmed. It was, as George H.W. Bush said, A new world order. Whereupon, everything went haywire. The nationalist fragmentation of the former Soviet Union, crony capitalism of the most malignant kind, and the ascension of authoritarianism and renewed international bellicosity. Gorbachev is now 88, trying to reckon with his place in history. And he's done so most recently in a film by renowned director and documentarian Werner Herzog. Meeting Gorbachev is burdened by history. Please allow me to explain myself. I am a German. And the first German that you probably met wanted to kill you. (laughs) And so for the latest installment of Bob's Docs and this week's podcast extra, I sat down with Herzog to discuss his latest film, Meeting Gorbachev. I'm not a journalist. Made it always clear to Mikhail Gorbachev that he's talking to a poet. Gorbachev is old. I think he's 88. 88, yes. And a bit frail. But he hasn't lost his charm, that twinkle in the eye that so mesmerized the West back in the day. Uh, Yes, but you are speaking about the twinkle, which is very superficial. What he brought to the West was of momentous substance. Uh, For example, uh, realignment of the relationships between East and West. The Cold War at its coldest. And he connected with Reagan. Nobody would ever believe that such different characters like Ronald Reagan and Gorbachev would connect. And they brought the biggest arms reduction in world history. They diffused a dangerous situation. As you said, one of the more remarkable aspects of the history of that period was the nature of his Western partners. He wasn't doing business in 1986 with Jimmy Carter or Peter, Paul, and Mary. It was Ronald Reagan and Margaret Thatcher who were hard-nosed anti 
Kami Hawks. But there's this scene in your film, about halfway through, where Gorbachev seems to chafe at the idea that it was their leadership to deal with him that made all the difference. It was a mutual sort of uh, relationship, including Margaret Thatcher, who was one of the first ones, long before he was leader of the Soviet Union, to recognize his extraordinary political talents. And then otherwise, well, who won the uh, Cold War? Gorbachev correctly says, everybody won it. We gave the signals. This is a new epoch. And it's a little bit like today, I've got the feeling that the demonization of Russia is a big mistake of the West. Well, hold that thought, because I'm not a poet, I'm just an interviewer, and I'm going to get to that presently. Where history is concerned, there is some question of credit, and then there's blame. Putin's Russia, and similarly some of the other post-Soviet states, it doesn't have a whole lot to do with glasnost. And, you know, I don't know what the antonym in Russian is to perestroika, but I guess there is one. So Gorbachev, in this film, and I guess in just generally reviewing the scope of his own life and career, is at pains to answer for the chaos that he arguably unleashed through his vision. And one of his great regrets is the chain reaction of secession that led to the dissolution of the USSR. He seems truly scarred by that. Uh, in a way, he is, uh, because in retrospect, he says it would have been so much better for all partners to stay together, but on a much more loose leash, the states of the Soviet Union, and that includes Georgia, or Kyrgyzia, or you just know, Kazakhstan, they should have had much, much more autonomy, and they came a little bit too late with that. In my opinion, and I think he's aware of it, the uh, demise of the Soviet Union was inevitable and irrevocably building up. You see, when you see footage in my film, more than 40% of the entire population of three countries, Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia, lined up in a human chain. And you see it, 600 kilometers or more lining without interruption. And you could tell there was a deep wish and will in the people themselves, beyond politics, beyond daily things. We want to be independent. Nonetheless, in the, the power vacuum that was created with the dissolution of the Soviet state, came nationalism. It began to create a kind of wholesale hyper-capitalism that had a lot to do with just looting the assets of the state. And he blames scoundrels like uh, Boris Yeltsin, seems to be his bete noir, who presided over that period leading to yeah. the current situation. Does he question himself and his role of being the agent of change, the first, I'm getting out of my depth here, but the first neutron aimed at the nucleus to create the nuclear fission? I think he's aware of, of all this, and you are referring to Yeltsin, of course. That was when things really started to unravel. And I have been in the Soviet Union, I know the time of Yeltsin, and it was catastrophic. The ruble within a week was worth only one-thirtieth of its value before, 
and it threw Russian people into complete disarray. Police was not properly paid, uh, pensions were not paid, teachers were not paid. It was really catastrophic in the country in a way sold out to what we call the oligarchs, which is nothing else but organized crime. And only under Putin things started to improve. When you look at Russia today, Russia has its dignity back, and that's the biggest change that you can observe. And it is a functioning state. For example, the oil industry that Yeltsin gave away to the oligarchs were forced by Putin to uh, reorganize and renovate and modernize the industries, and they are paying taxes now. They didn't do that during Yeltsin's time. So we have to look at it with more information about what is going on. However, I keep saying, and I think the film has it in a subversive way in it, these times of Reagan and Gorbachev hopefully would come back again, where the most unlikely players and characters in nations all of a sudden found common ground. And because of that, the demonization of Russia is a mistake. Hmm. It seems to me that as a documentary creator, your particular genius is the ability to pose questions that are simultaneously sympathetic and damning. They get gently to the nub of an issue without being hostile or confrontational. Is that what you're up to here with Mikhail Gorbachev? Well, I think my questions were not irreverent or so, but sometimes there's humor in it and sometimes they come out of nowhere. I ask him about his legacy, what should be on your gravestone? And he gives a wonderful answer, we tried. It's really beautiful and what I tried to do in the film is not only giving some sort of a sense of what was going on in world history, the momentous things of the end of the 20th century. It was also an aim of mine to show at some moments the soul of the man and even showing at fleeting moments the soul of his country, Russia. And you see that, for example, at the end of the film where he recites the most wonderful poem, and it's so good and so deep. Lermontov. I repeat it even as a scrawl at the end, because that's where you get a feeling of the depth and the beauty of Russia. For some years after resigning from office, Gorbachev remained on the world stage. But now, I guess for reasons of age and infirmity, he's largely withdrawn from public life. In your film, he becomes not just a tragic hero, but I don't even know how to put this, a smaller-than-life figure. No, uh, I disagree, uh, but well, go, in, uh, well, go on. Uh, d does your film seek to elevate him? Does it, uh, I, I see you disagree, but does it break your heart if I say it shrinks him? No, it doesn't. The man, when he's infirm and wait until he's dead... We will see the monumental size of the tree that has fallen. You see, the more he's infirm, the more huge he appears to me. The sheer fact that some Russians see him as a traitor is something slightly tragic, but it's changing now. I can feel it, I can sense it. 
please forgive me for going to where I'm about to go, but one of your most famous films is not a documentary. It's a dramatic feature called Fitzcarraldo, 1982. Something like yeah. that, yes. And it's about a man who also undertook a quixotic and almost inconceivable venture, not to dismantle an evil empire, but to drag a 300-ton riverboat over an Amazon mountain. And in that film, he succeeds in his proximate goal of getting the ship from one river tributary to another. But because of some unforeseeable intervention of others, he ultimately fails and has to be content with a largely symbolic triumph. You see where I'm going with this? Yes, but I would not see a direct parallel now to the vision of Gorbachev and the result of it. It's it has not been a folly. He's not been a dreamer. He's a very pragmatic, intelligent, shrewd politician. And understanding what was doable in politics, he achieved things that nobody believed could be possible. We need this kind of people in politics today. There's definitely a shortage of visionaries. Yes, but it's not only visionaries. He keeps saying, do the doable. Politics is the art of doing the doable. The very act of focusing on historically significant figures can leave the background out of focus. In meeting Gorbachev, we're given virtually... No contemporary context. And we began to discuss yeah, in a moment God, earlier yeah. <laughs> about 21st century Russia, about Putin Russia, which may indeed be a functioning state, but is also equal parts state and continuing criminal enterprise, at least by my lights. This was obviously a decision on your part. What no, was your thinking? On his, no, it was mostly uh, Gorbachev's uh, ah. Decision. By the way, he disagrees with Putin in many things, but they both respect each other. It was basically his decision, and I had the feeling this is not a biography on Gorbachev, nor is it uh, something that should reflect today's politics, because if I had spoken in detail about Putin, we should have spoken in detail about Donald Trump as well. I'm sorry, because I'm, were not, two, I'm not placing the name. <laughs> Well, there are two players who were <laughs> like Ronald Reagan. At the time, I do remember that everybody somehow demonized or in, in many countries that I have been. And they kept saying, oh, yeah, Ronald Reagan is, a, is just a mediocre Hollywood actor. And now he's acting the, the part of a president. And nobody thought that he was a very shrewd politician and he was not only a, a, an actor whether he was great or not doesn't matter he came from uh, labor unions he led the screen actors guild for a long long time he was governor of california and so don't misunderestimate reagan <laughs> <laughs> that's what i kept saying <laughs> because of the putin regime it is easy to look upon gorbachev's legacy as to have amounted to just more heartbreak. What am I missing to draw that conclusion? Uh, number one, I think you are too much into the narrative of the Western media 
take a good look at uh, what Russia is today. And I would advise you travel there and take a good look, speak to the people, look around. Secondly, I do believe that what Gorbachev did and Reagan did is something that's very badly needed. Stop the demonization and look beyond the horizon. That was exactly what Gorbachev did together with Ronald Reagan. And it was a time where the coldest war was so cold that it was dangerously cold. We need to look at the current situation and look beyond the horizon and then do the right thing. Russia is not a danger to the West. Russia is not a danger to the West, but political opponents are murdered. You will not drag me into becoming a pundit, but there are evolutions now in the balance of power in the world, and I mean the real big ones. And don't go into smaller things like Syria or so. There's big, big things out there. They will emerge and they will become much more dangerous than Russia would be. And the German security advisor of Helmut Kohl, the German chancellor, he says, and I think rightly so, Russia has its safest border with the West. The West does not pose a danger to Russia, and Russia doesn't pose a danger for the West either. In well, my opinion, he didn't say that in your film. He said the West poses no danger to Russia. Yes. He didn't say the reverse. That's correct, yes. Uh, but it is meant Russia doesn't want to invade Western Europe or whatever. That would be silly to assume that. The safest border that Russia has is a border with the West. The problem of Russia is basically the movement or the expansion of NATO, which is moving all the way to the Russian border. And over 56% of the population in Russia find the expansion of NATO an existential threat. What if, let's say, NATO had dissolved, like the Warsaw Pact, And Russia had promised never to expand, but all of a sudden they start expanding and they would have all of a sudden military maneuvers, 200,000 soldiers together with Canadian troops at the border with America, three aircraft carriers in Tijuana in Mexico, 50,000 soldiers in, let's say, Jamaica, smoking weed and drinking rum, but being there rocket bases in, uh, let's say, the Bahamas and in Iceland, would America not feel existentially threatened? Well, I'm and not going exactly, to be drawn into a no, debate about yeah, no, the, the security situation between U.S. No, and Russia either. No, uh, it's I'm, I'm fantasizing, but it's uh, in a way has a relationship with realities because that's what Russia is feeling, an existential threat of NATO moving all the way to their borders. You obviously were well-grounded in the history of the Soviet Union, and particularly with respect to Germany, when you walked into that room with Mikhail Gorbachev for the first time, and you also obviously were well-grounded in his history. What did you learn, above all, in those three sessions? I think beyond what you can learn from uh, reading the history books and what you can learn reading his autobiography and other books on him, for me the real revealing thing was to meet a man of his caliber and depth, 
a man of a very, very deep soul. That makes me like Russia a lot. Seeing a man who has been in politics and yet he's a man of very profound poetry and profound emotions and profound... He has a very deep soul. And that's how I see Russia, a, a country that has a soul of, with a depth that you cannot find in any other country that I have seen. Werner, thank you very much. You're very welcome. Werner Herzog is the director of Meeting Gorbachev and about 12 or 13,000 other features and documentaries over six decades. That's it for this week's Pod Extra. For more OTM, sign up for our newsletter, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter. Twitter.